liar. Amen. How many I know that the devil will lie to you? Amen. From his from the existence of Satan, he has been a liar. He is. Uh, Jesus said in John chapter eight and verse forty four. Jesus said. There is no truth in him. When he lies, he speaks his native tongue. Amen. For he, he is a liar and the father of lies. And so how many ways can you come up with? How many ways can you say that the devil is a liar? He's a deceiver. Paul said uh, he is a schemer. Uh, he tells us uh, a deceiver is one who persuades people to believe something that is not true. And so there is a devil, and Satan would love for you to believe that he does not exist. He is that arch enemy of God. His primary function in the earth is to make you believe a lie and be deceived. And so a deceiver is one who persuades people to believe what is not true. And to be deceived means to believe a lie to be true, right? And one of the areas that Satan works to deceive in regards to our money and material possessions. Satan works overtime in this area. Uh, material possessions have a tremendous potential to lure and devour us and cause us to go away from God and cause us to be detoured. A lot of subjects that I preach upon, uh, people feel as though that they seem ill uh, and not relevant to them. For In other words, I can preach on marriage and somebody that is not married automatically says, this message is not relevant to me. I can pre preach on parenting and people that don't have kids say this isn't relevant. I can preach on salvation and those who are saved will say, uh, I I'm already saved and so this isn't relevant to me. Uh, but when I preach on money, it hits us all. All of us deal with money. Amen. We have to address the myths that, of the devil. And so I want to look at some of those things today. The myths of money. In Matthew chapter 6 and verse 24, Jesus said, No one can serve two masters. For either we will hate the one and love the other, or else we will be loyal to one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and mammon. Right? And so this is interesting to me. Mammon is the Aramaic word for money. Uh, why did he name, uh, give the money a name, mammon? Because money, almost more than anything else, has the potential to become an idol to us. Amen. Most of us would think that he would have said that you can't serve God and the devil or that you can't serve uh, God and the world. But he chooses to say that you cannot serve God and money. Why? Because money promises what God can only do. Money promises you what only God can do. And people assume that if you have enough money, you can have happiness. People assume if you have enough money that you can have health. People assume that if you have enough money, you can be secure. If you have enough money that you can have fellowship and companionship. If you have enough money, you can have power. Amen. But one of the biggest challenges as a Christian is to keep money in perspective. All right. One of the biggest lies that the devil will tell you is that it is no big deal. 
It's no big deal how you handle your money. This is a lie. Jesus said more about money than he did heaven or hell. He said more about money than he did prayer. He says more about money and this, uh, any other subject in the Bible except faith. Okay? In 17 of the 38 parables, it is talking about money. Over 2,000 scriptures are about money. 15% of the Bible talks about money. Why? There is an intimate connection between the development of our character and how we handle money. Satan loves to lie about money. He loves to lie about uh, uh, that, and he tells us that, you know, whenever the preacher preaches on money, the church must be in need right now. They need some money. He'll tell you, just hang in there for 30 minutes, and it'll be over. Right? Uh, But you see... He'll tell you all kinds of things. When you start talking about money, you enter into a snake pit and people start second-guessing your motives. They start questioning why you are doing this, right? This has got to be a personal matter. But why do I talk about money? Because I have committed my life to preaching the gospel. And so if there 15% of the Bible talks about money, then for me to be uh, honest with myself and to God then I too must preach about money. Amen? And so, how many um, believers today really understand that God's Word is true? And so I want to talk about some of these observations about money today. Amen? We, what we do with our money says something about our view of God. In 1 Peter chapter 3 and verse 15, he said, Honor Christ and let him be the Lord of your life. Amen? The call to follow Jesus is to make Jesus the leader of your life. The call to follow Jesus is to make him our boss. Right? In America, we want uh, many times what Christianity, what we think it is, is a ticket out of hell. Uh, In America, we want God to ride in our boat. But when Jesus comes into our life, he doesn't get in our boat. We get in his boat. Amen. Whenever we commit our lives to Christ, it does not become our agenda that he becomes a part of. But we become a part of his agenda in our life. Amen. When you receive Christ, you invite him to come in. Amen. And take up a bold in your life. And you take on his cross and you follow after him. Amen. God is not a co-pilot. God is the pilot. God does not need your help. Amen. I want to do with my money, what I do with my money proves whether God is Lord of my life or not. It proves if I trust him or not. Is God really the leader of my life? James actually said that he would show our faith by what we do. In other words, faith is the life of obedience to the Word of God. And so if I'm going to trust Him with my life, then I must be obedient to His Word. So what do we do with our money? says something about our trust. Matthew 6 and 33 said, Seek ye first the kingdom of God and His righteousness, 
and all of these other things will be given to you as well. Amen. If you grow up in the church, you know this verse. You know the verse, but the verse, uh, but the reality in my life, he talks about this right after he talks about worry. Are you with me? He said, why do you worry about the clothes and your food? The birds do not uh, worry about these things. The lilies of the field do not worry about these things. Are you not far more important than, uh, to your heavenly father than the birds and the lilies? Right? He said, I will not take, uh, will I not take care of you? You seek me first, you put me first, and I'll take care of you because you're more precious than a bird, you're more precious than a flower, amen. You're more precious than the angels of heaven. Whenever uh, the angels fell, he never sent his son to rescue them. But it was when mankind was without a savior, when mankind was separated from Father God, that he sent his only begotten son, that we could have relationship back to Father God. Amen? And so he, we are more precious than that. And so if we can trust him with uh, his word and we will put him first in our life, then I'm here to tell you that you can also trust him with your future. Amen? The way I handle money, possessions, determines whether I believe this or not. When I talk about money, we have, uh, have to have more than just concepts and theories. But do I trust God? Do I believe that God really will take care of me? If you are saved, you're saying that you trust Jesus Christ with your eternal life. That you trust him not only here and now, but when you die, that you trust him that you will go to heaven where he said that you would go. Amen. And so how is it that we can put our trust of eternal life into his hands, but we cannot trust him with our money? What we do with our money really does determine whether we trust him or not. Everybody has things that they value. We value our family. We value our friendship. We value our money. And how we spend it shows what we value. Luke chapter 12 and verse 34 said, Where the treasure is, there your heart will be also. Amen. So listen, your bank statement, your page, your check stubs, your credit card bills says more about what you value than the, the scriptures that you have highlighted in your Bible. I just said something right there. Amen. Because you can highlight all of the scriptures in theory, but whenever you say this is where I really put my trust. This is what I'm really confident in, right? That I can trust God that he's going to take care of me. And so what we do with our money says something about ownership. Most of us would say that, God, you own everything. But how many really believe that he owns everything? How many really believe that the house you live in belongs to God? That the car that you drive 
really belongs to God. That the clothes that you put on and have in your closet, they belong to God. We are managers over everything that God has given us. Psalms 50 says that every animal of the forest is mine. The cattle on a thousand hills are mine. The creatures of the field are mine. The world is mine and all that dwell in it. Amen. This includes everything that I have. The devil will say, well, well, I've worked, make you think, well, I've worked hard for this. I've put four years of college in. I've started this business with nothing. I've worked hard for these things. And this, this is mine. God didn't have nothing to do with this. But who is it that gave you the ability? Who is it that gave you the knowledge? Who is it that gave you the strength? Deuteronomy chapter 8, verse 10. I want to read the eight verses there. He said, when you eat and are satisfied, praise the Lord your God for the good land he has given you. Be careful that you do not forget the Lord your God, failing to observe his commandments, his laws and his decrees that I am giving you this day. Otherwise, when you eat and are satisfied, when you build fine houses and settle down, when you herds and flocks grow large and your silver and gold increase and you have multiplied, then your heart will become proud and you will forget the Lord your God who brought you out of Egypt, out of the land of slavery. He led you through the vast and dreadful desert, that thirsty and waterless land with this uh, vent with its venomous snakes and scorpions. He brought you a uh, water out of a hard rock. He gave you man, a manna to eat in the desert. Sometimes your fathers had never known you humbled to humble and to test you so that in the end it might go well with you. You may say to yourself, my power and my strength of my hands have produced this wealth for me. But remember the Lord, your God, for it is he who gives you the ability to produce wealth and so confirms his covenant with uh, which has he swore to your forefathers as it is today. If you ever forget the Lord, your God and follow other gods and worship and bow down to them, I testify against you today that you will surely be destroyed like the nation's the Lord destroyed before you. So you will be destroyed uh, for not obeying the Lord your God. Where did the strength come from? Where did the energy come from? Where did the mental capacity come from? It is all a gift from God. He gave it all to us. Amen. We think that we are taking from God to give from ourselves to give to God. But it's a whole lot easier when you understand that everything belongs to God and I'm just giving him part of what he already has. Amen. What is stewardship? Stewardship is managing what God has given us. There are people in business of wealth management and they help people with their retirement. They help them with their investments. And if a person mismanages what you give them, they will go to jail for fraud, right? If you are saved and are in the wealth, you are in the wealth management business. You are called to manage what God has given you. 
God is not poor. He does not need your money. Amen. He entrusts some to you. And so it's not about what we can do for God. It's about what God wants to do in us. It's not about raising money, but it's about raising people. It's about making a difference in people's lives. Amen. You, and you, anybody that's been here long enough, you'll know that I don't spend much time at all raising money. It's one of the least things that I enjoy doing. I believe, you, you know, one person called me one time, you know, they got these things and they call all the time. And, uh, and one of them told me, said, I've got a great offer for you, uh, how to raise a bunch of money for your church. I said, is that right? He said, yes. I told him, I said, I've got an ongoing process that I use to raise money for the church. He said, what is it? I said, it's called tithes and offerings. Amen. And whenever people tithe and give offerings, amen, any other things that we do is just for camaraderie. It's for special events. It's for something over and above. But we ain't going to have a hot dog sale to keep the lights on. Amen. I'm not going to be known as the Oscar Mayer preacher. Amen. I, if I'm going to be known for anything, I'm going to be known for the one that is anointed to bring signs and wonders and healing and deliverance and hope to a broken world. Amen. And so it isn't about raising money. It's about discipling people and raising up people to an awareness that God really will take care of you. It's not just a, a, a concept. It's not just in theory. But God will provide for you. He will take care of you. Amen. Let's talk about the big deal just a minute. Malachi tells us in chapter 3 and verse 7, Return to me. Life was getting... Uh, back to normal for Israel after their crisis here. And he said, I will return to you, says the Lord Almighty. But you ask, how are we to return? Will a man rob God, yet you rob me? But you ask, how do we rob you in tithes and offerings? You're under a curse, the whole nation of you, because you're robbing me. Bring the whole tithe into the storehouse, that there may be food in my house Test me in this and see if I will not throw open the floodgates of heaven and pour you out so much blessing that there is not room enough for you to contain it. So let's look at this like we never have before. God said, will a rat man rob me? And the Hebrew word here for rob means to plunder, to pillage, to ravage. This is not shoplifting. This is not sneaking up and grabbing something uh, at Walmart. This isn't going and stealing a golf club. It's more than just being stingy or hoarding up money. This means that there is an attack against God. Have you, have we plundered your stuff? How have we attacked you? God said, you don't bring your tithes and your offerings to me. This is ravaging the throne of God. This is uh, when Satan says it's no big deal. 
you, you ought to know by now that he just speaks his native tongue and it's a lie. What he tells you is a lie. God will be okay this week. He don't need your money. You need to buy this and that. It isn't about God. It's about how that God can get his blessing into your life. Whenever I was in St. Louis pastoring there, we had prostitutes that came to be saved. Now, whenever a prostitute comes and is saved, you can't just tell them, just keep on working, baby. God understands. Right? I mean, they have to have a whole lifestyle change. And I've seen God take care. I preached there. I, you know, people say, well, this stuff, you know, the money thing, it works, uh, you know, in America, in American church. I preached it in, in Africa, and I've seen it work. I've preached it in the inner city of America, and I've seen it work. I've preached it here in the, in the Appalachians, and I've seen it work. Because it's not my job. It is God's word that he said, put me first, and I'll take care of you. Amen. Two sisters that were prostitutes got saved, and they, they uh, moved in with each other trying to make it. And they said, Pastor, what are we going to do? I didn't have any answers for them, but I told them, I promise you, I'll pray with you. And you put God first, and he'll take care of you. Amen. Two weeks later, they come back. Both of them had jobs. Amen. The, the, she jumped up with, so, one of them jumped up with such excitement talking about the job. And uh, so uh, we let her testify of God's goodness. And she talked about what God did for her. The next week, she comes back excited again. I said, we've already heard your testimony. She said, no, I got a raise this week. I said, you ain't been there long enough. She said, I know, but I got a raise. The third week, she comes back excited again. And she says, I- I've got to testify. I said, we've already heard your... T-. She said, no. said, I got a second job, and it's making triple of the first one that I got. Seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness and all of these other things will be added unto you. Amen. I'm telling you today that when we put him first in our life and foremost in our life, God will take care of us. Praise God. We live in the middle of a spiritual warfare. Spiritual activity is going on all of the time. And a lot of the stuff that we see in the newspapers and in the news is the influence of demonic activity that is going on around about us. Amen. Your struggle today is not against flesh and blood. Your struggle today is not against your wife or your children. It's not against the Democrats or the Republicans. It's not fighting, but it is a spiritual wickedness in high places. Amen. And what does this have to do with uh, the evil... When you refuse to bring God what belongs to him, you're attacking the throne of God, and it really is a big deal. When we do not do our part, the kingdom of God cannot be advanced. The word of God, somebody gave. I said somebody gave so I could hear the gospel. But whenever I do not give, then I'm allowing the evil of the world because the gospel cannot be preached. 
The Word of God cannot go forward. Truth cannot be revealed. And so I am contributing to the evil that is in the earth. According to Jewish worldview, they had a concept of shalom. This is the concept of peace. They had a corporate concept of peace. And when they, the prophets of old, the old prophecies said, Jesus they are, will come and when he comes, they will walk in peace. The reign of God will bring shalom. God's kingdom brings peace. In Luke chapter 4, it said, The Spirit of the Lord is upon me because he has anointed me to preach the gospel to the poor. This is Jesus. He sent me to uh, proclaim freedom to the prisoner and recovery of sight to the blind, to release the oppressed, and to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. Amen. He was talking about shalom. Amen. This is still God's plan. God wants to bring shalom. He wants to bring peace into our lives. Amen. To fail to live generously is an attack on the throne of God. Giving has declined over the the past decade. Listen, only 6% of evangelicals tithe. 25% of evangelicals give nothing to the work of God. 36% of those who do give, give less than 2%. Do you know where most of the money? No. People say all the church wants is my money. Do you know where most of the money comes from to operate the kingdom of God? Nursing homes. Saints of God can't even get to church, but they believe in the kingdom so much that they still send their tithe and offerings so the gospel can still be preached. Amen. Nursing homes, retirement homes, and people who, who it, that are in cemeteries that give what they have left at the end of their life to the house of God, to the kingdom of God, so the kingdom can be preached. That is where the most amount of finances come to advance the kingdom of God. We have done a poor job at teaching our children about giving. My dad worked at General Motors growing up. Mom worked at Parker Hannafin. They taught me to tithe when I was a kid. I've never struggled with giving God what belongs to him. It's never been an option or even crossed my mind to withhold what belongs to God. That's what I was taught. It's his, and for me to even touch it is wrong. Amen. God wants what belongs to him. I grew up understanding that. Amen. That he owns everything. And I'm thankful for what he allows me to steward. I'm grateful for the privilege that he trusts me enough to give me a home. To give me cars to drive. Be able to provide for my family. And when I give it to him first, what belongs to him, I don't have to worry about the rest. He will supply my needs. Amen. Stewardship is not about raising money. It's about raising people. People who understand priorities. People who understand who the source is. Don't allow all the tithers to die. 
Barna also uh, is, took a survey and discovered that people that make $20,000 a year gave the most. They were the best tithers. Somebody that made $20,000 a year or less was the best tithers. Those were the ones that were faithful. People who make over $100,000 a year gave the least. This is talking about percentages. Isn't it amazing how the more we make, the harder it is to give God what belongs to Him? It's quiet up here in this church of my God. Amen. It isn't hard to give God that $10 a week. But don't you know that the God that blessed you to put $10 a week in is the same God that blessed you to put $1,000 a week in? That's way too much to be giving. Well, we can pray for you to go back to making your $750 an hour. Amen. You see, we, we've got to understand today that it's God that really has blessed us. Is it just concepts? Is it just theories? Or do we really believe this? Amen. You see, there is enough money. Listen to this statistic. There is enough money in the bank accounts of Christians in the U.S. that if they tithe, we could end world hunger in one month and still have $70 billion left. Do we really believe God will take care of us? What is stopping the kingdom of Shalom? It is people that are attacking the throne of God. It is people that are not committed. If every person who is saved tithe, we could accomplish the great commission tomorrow. Go into all the world and preach the gospel. Amen. Everybody is go going, not going to do that. There's no, it's no big deal. When everyone else starts doing it, then I'll do it. We look at the, the, the big picture and we say, well, that just cannot be done. But I want to tell you that we can do our part. Amen. We can do our part. They can tell you here at this church, I don't look and see who ties and, and who's given the biggest money and all of that because that's foolishness. I'll serve you and I'll minister to you the best of my ability if you put a dollar in the plate or you put a million dollars in the plate. My, my salary is not based upon the income. It's set by our general offices. But I want you to understand today that it does matter in your life how you respond and how you give to the kingdom of God. It's not about me. It's not about the church. But it's about the kingdom of God going forward. Amen. And advancing. So Luke chapter 8 says, watch out, be on your guard against all kinds of greed. He didn't name any other sin. Why? Because greed is one sin that has power to blind us. It is the one thing greater than anything else. We don't see greed. It shows up without you knowing it. Every, every other sin, you know that you're sinning. If somebody commits adultery, nobody has to tell you you did that. Huh? 
As pastor, I've had people come and confess all kinds of sin to me. But I've never had anybody come and, and tell me, Pastor, I'm struggling with materialism and greed. Never. Why? Because we're blind to it ourselves. We don't understand that our unwillingness to give to the kingdom of God is hindering the gospel from going forth. Greed is sin that we cannot see. Almost no one thinks that they have a problem with greed. We should just assume that we all struggle with this. Amen. We, mu we measure our worth by what we have. We spend every dime and we have uh, nothing to give to God. When was the last time that you asked, how can I be more generous? How can I help to advance the kingdom in a greater measure, in a greater way? Paul said that we need to grow in the grace of giving. Jesus said, beware of the sin of greed. The journey to breaking the power of greed in your life is to begin to pursue generosity. We don't see it. We just think we need more, we need more, we need more. Do you know anybody that can tell you today, I've got enough? Look, boss man, I appreciate you wanting to give me that check on Friday, but you know what? I've got enough. I'm just going to come up in here and I'm going to serve and I'm going to do whatever you want me to do because I love coming to work here and, and I've just got everything I need and, and you don't have... We, we, don't, we don't operate that way, right? Because the more we have, somehow we think the more we need. And we never remember that we made it before we had anything. I am grateful where I am today. I am thankful to be able to pastor this wonderful church and I believe that the future is brighter than our past. Amen. I, I, I'm blessed to be your pastor. I get to go out and eat after church on Sundays. Amen. I remember whenever we, Renee and I, just Renee and I then didn't have any kids. But I remember every Sunday, it wasn't chicken. It wasn't dumplings. It was rice and, was it boy or deep? Chunky soup. Yeah. I remember. And you can look at me and see those days are over. Glory to God. Amen. <laughs> and I'm not going to complain about what has been. But I want to remember the Lord that has brought me to a place of blessing. Amen. Generosity begins at 10% to God's work. We give the tithe. The tithe means the tenth, the first part. It's not 
an Old Testament, you say, is it not an Old Testament thing? It began, and you see it in the Old Testament, but it was amped up in the New Testament. In Luke chapter 11 and verse 42, he said, You give me more when you love and justice demands it. You give me more when love and justice demands it. Tithing is the starting place. But when love and justice demands it, we give above our tithe. Let me make it as simple as I can. Everyone tithes. The question is, what treasury do you tithe into? What is the place that you tithe? Some of us tithe into our closet. Some tithe into the vehicle. Some tithe into the bass boat, the new boat, the new bow. The new. But our tithe, that that belongs to God, every one of us put it somewhere. The question is, where is God's money going? The treasury of the temple was where ministry of God was taking place. Every one of us uh, place our tithe somewhere and we place it where we are most secure. The thing that we trust in, the thing that we value. We all tithe, but where do we tithe? say it's no big deal. A lot of Christians are being deceived because they think that they can live selfishly and disobedient to the Word of God and it will not have any eternal impact. But this is a lie. This is a myth of the devil. How can we believe this? We listen to the whispers of the enemy that says it's no big deal. Jesus is your friend and you're going to heaven. Well, thank God you're going to heaven. But what about your neighbor? What about your family member? Someone asked me, if I don't tithe, will I go to hell? There's a more important question than that. And that is, if you do not tithe, others will go to hell. If we have today to repent, for mismanaging money. We have to repent today for allowing the kingdom of God to go undone while we have continued to put ourselves first. Trusting in money. Trusting in the stock market. If the past years haven't taught you anything, you ought to know you can't put your trust in eternal things. They all fade and they perish away. We have to repent for mismanaging God's money. Today, I don't want you to go and sit down at a calculator when you go home. I want you to go and sit at the foot of the cross say, God, how, how can I be more generous? How can I deny myself, take up this cross, and follow after you? Because, honest to God, I, I've prayed about three weeks over this because I know how people get. They get real funny when you start talking about money. You want to get people weirding out on you? All you got to do is take, take two subjects, sex and money, and they'll weird out on you every time. 
Amen. But I just ask the Holy Spirit, God, I, I don't want people to feel guilty. If you are feeling guilty or condemned uh, about the mess and, and feeling shame and all that, then, then you're not receiving this in the spirit that I'm telling you today. Because, you know, some people, I have have pastor friends that tell me I'm not going to talk about money. I'm not, I'm not going to say that I'm going to be your pastor and lie to you. I'm not going to be your pastor and, and cheat you. The kingdom of God is more, better than that. And so I'm going to give you the whole counsel, the whole truth. Right? Because the church doesn't need your money. I'm not going to get more of your money. Don't need your money. This is about how God has set it up that the kingdom of heaven can be released into your life. Press it down. Shake it together. Run it over. And cause men to give unto your bosom. Amen. Hallelujah. Malachi said, return to God and he will return to you. Return to me how? By bringing the tithe. What is the tithe? 10%. Not just the leftover. Amen. Tithe means the first fruit, the first 10%. And let me just add to, to it, don't lie to God. Don't bring something and say it's your tithe and it just be part. That's what God Ananias and Sapphira killed. If you're not going to give the 10%, don't say it's tithe. It's yours. You can keep it. But that first 10% belongs to God. I'm going to give it to you. He said, he never said to give it. He said, bring it because it belongs to me. And then he says, return to him with an offering because love requires it. The situation demands it. People are in need. People are hurting. People to be cared for. Things to be done. The gospel must be preached. I'll share with you some of the things that we do here as a church. Some of them you probably know about. Others of them you may not even be aware of. And we don't take up special offerings so much to do those things. But it's because you are faithful in your tithe and your offerings that we are able to advance the kingdom of God. Do you realize every time that you give into this house that you are helping to preach the gospel literally around the world? Every single time. So today I just want to bust the myths, the lies of the devil. And I just want to say to you today, put him first. Dare to trust him. Giving the tenth, the first fruits to God does not say that everything else is just going to fall into place. You can't be acting crazy with your money. Huh? It all belongs to God. But when you give him the first, he'll help you to make sure that you steward the rest if you'll ask him. He'll make wise decisions and choices with your finances that the world will look at you and call you blessed. Amen? Hallelujah. Father, thank you for our time together today. Ask you, God, that you would just help us here at the tabernacle, that we would honor you, our tithes and our offerings, that we would not 
allow the enemy to lie to us. But God, because others have given, we choose to give. And God, we know that it is your word that if we put you first, that you will supply all of our needs according to your riches and glory. So, Father, I pray today that you would just touch each and every one that is here this morning. God, that you would help us to understand this truth and apply it to our lives. That it would bring glory and honor and praise to your name. And God, that you really can show up big in our lives. You said, prove me now herein. And see if I won't open up the windows of heaven. I pray, God... I know today it'll be a challenge for some. Some in their generosity will begin to do the 10%. Others, God, as they search their heart, they'll want to do more than what they have. But wherever we are in this journey today, I pray, God, that you would show up big in their lives and minister to them. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Amen. Praise God. I'm not a politician. I'm not running for anything. But I almost want to give you a six-month challenge today. Because I believe the Word of God. If you're not giving God the tithe, if if you've struggled with that, maybe you've never known it, and you're, you're here today for the very first time, I want you to go pray about that, make a decision. I challenge you to tithe. Give God the first 10% of your income for six months. And at the end of that six months, if you aren't blessed, come back and see me and I'll give back every single penny that you have given. Because if you aren't blessed, then God's a liar. And you ought not be a part of that. That's how I know. I'm sold on it. I'm convinced of it. But I challenge you today. If you haven't, begin with generosity, with your 10%. And see if God won't open the windows of heaven and provide for you. Give you things that money cannot buy. You can't buy another day of health. You can't buy another day. You can have all the money in the world. But what good's all the money in the world if you can't have health to enjoy it? You can have a $10,000 bed, but if you can't sleep at night, what good does it do? You can have a $200 steak, but if you can't chew it. Amen? But God's been good to us. He's honored his word. He's watched over us. And I want to be generous. I want to bless him. Amen. Prepare your hearts today for your giving. Those who are here on a regular basis understand. I don't do gimmicks. I don't give out green cloths and oil, soap, holy water. We just believe the word of God. 
The Word of God says if you'll put Him first, He'll take care of every need of your life. 